what kind of programs does this school have? How are the test scores? How many kids do a classroom? Homes.com knows these are all things you ask when you're home shopping as a parent. That's why each listing on Homes.com includes extensive reports on local schools, including photos, parent reviews, test scores, student-teacher ratio, school rankings, and more. The information is from multiple trusted sources and curated by Homes.com's dedicated in-house research team. It's also you can make the right decision for your family. Homes.com. We've done your homework. <clears throat> AT&T connects an O to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. Welcome to Stuff You Should Know, a production of iHeartRadio. Stuff You Should Know is recorded in front of a live studio audience. (laughs) Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh, and there's Chuck, and this is part two of our very special two-part episode on sitcoms. Sitcoms, everybody. That's right. And we're going to shoot for 30 minutes here. Mm -hmm. Uh, If you remember in episode one, we explained all about how sitcoms are made and the history of sitcoms. And today we begin with part two of whether or not these things were successful. And boy, were they. Yeah. um, Apparently between 1950 and 2019, the top rated show for the entire year, in America at least, was a sitcom for 26 different seasons. So that's a pretty significant number considering there's all sorts of different kinds of shows. Sitcoms are not the only kind of show out there. Yeah, that's 40%. Um, I guarantee you that between 1950 and 2000, that number is more like 80%. I, I would, yeah, I would also say, especially if you were going from 1970 to 2000, it's probably 100%. <laughs> you're, yeah, you're probably right. Or 104% is an homage to our menstruation episode, which we, <laughs> I, I biffed pretty bad. Uh, well, we both biffed that. Um, here's a remarkable statistic, though. If you refer back to our Nielsen ratings episode, mm-hmm. uh, I Love Lucy in 1952-1953 had a 67.3 Nielsen rating, which meant that close to 70% of every household in the United States was watching that TV show. Okay. That's, and that's crazy. A, and it's the highest season rating for any TV show ever. But, Chuck, um, and Ed uses for comparison, the highest rated show in 2001 was Friends, and they had a 15. Yeah. Lucy had a 70, right? And Friends but was huge. Friends was huge. Consider this, though. Lucy had it way easier. There were fewer TVs sure. and fewer shows to choose from wow. when Friends came around. <laughs> Is this when you punch so, holes in it? <laughs> yeah, because let's say 10 people had a TV. Lucy had seven of them watching. But yeah, sure. Friends, yeah, with, yeah. you know, 500, t- <laughs> 500 million TVs were out there, and 15% of them were tuned to it. So if you really think about it, 
Friends was more dominant than Lucy. Yeah. Uh, we should call this section In Defense of Friends <laughs> or Why I Learned to Hate I Love Lucy. I, it's not that, and no, I'm, I'm also not defending Friends, believe me. <laughs> so these shows back then were shot on uh, film, 35-millimeter film, but it's still different. These cameras weren't like movie cameras at the same time either. Mm-hmm. Um, but th- And that's a bunch of technical stuff we won't get into. But starting in 19, uh, I guess, 71, when All in the Family debuted, yeah. uh, we started shooting things on videotape. And if you've ever seen those sitcoms of the 70s in front of a studio audience, they had a very specific videotape look. Um, It was kind of great. A lot of nostalgia for people in our our demographic, uh, for Gen X and I guess some younger boomers. But uh, this to us was sort of the heyday, and I think generally the heyday of of sitcoms. Yeah, because in the 50s, there were still tons of variety shows and quiz shows that kind of edged sitcoms out. The 60s, there were like lots of westerns. But part of the problem with it, too, is sitcoms were corny and phony and didn't really speak to anybody's actual life. They were escapist, right? And in the 70s, the very early 70s, starting with All in the Family, uh, sitcoms started to take on actual issues like out there in the real world, but they were doing it in a funny way. So it was more digestible and easy to kind of think about and talk about with your friends than it would otherwise if, it, you know, 60 Minutes was just shoving it down your throat. Yeah. And, you know, in a funny way in that episodes still had to have some laughs, but there were some episodes of some very famous sitcoms that went very serious and dark on what was later to be called, like, a special episode. Yeah. Um, there are a few real notable ones. Uh, one was all – and I remember seeing this episode as a kid, and I was, like, shaken because I didn't I didn't know any of this stuff. I think it's where I learned about that sexual assault was a thing, and it was when mm-hmm. Edith Bunker was was almost uh, – or attempted uh, sexual uh, sexually assaulted on the show, and that episode was uh, – very, very, very serious and a, and a marked departure from what sitcoms were all about. Yeah, um, Maud is also um, frequently pointed to as having like an early effect on tackling like hard stuff when the the main character, Maud, in a two-part very special episode, chooses to get an abortion um, to terminate her pregnancy when she gets pregnant at age 47. And that was like, I mean, if you did that today, it would be controversial. And this was like the, the yeah. early mid-70s that they did that. So people are like, like TV show producers are starting to like really take on more and more stuff. Um, and that very special episode did become a thing beyond the 70s. Like another really good example is um, Different Strokes. Yeah. Very special two-part episode about child uh, exploitation with um, uh, Mr. What was the guy's name from WKRP, the station owner? Oh, Mr. Carlson, he was the guy? Yes. Oh. And you don't, if you've not seen it, then good, don't, because you'll never look at Mr. Carlson the same way again, (laughs) because he played this creepy child molester, like, perfectly. He owned a bicycle shop. He lured Arnold and Dudley over there, took pictures of them in their underwear. Yeah, Um, I remember. It was a, like, really jarring episode. And one of the hallmarks, which I know we've made fun of before in previous episodes, of a very special episode is the audience doesn't clap at the end mm-hmm. and it makes it even more weird and jarring and creepy to end an episode like that but that's definitely a hallmark of it yeah and um also that uh, you mentioned that was a two-parter the all in the family episode with edith was i, I believe just a one hour 
Uh, I don't even think they aired it in two parts. I think it, mm-hmm. they just broke format entirely. Yeah. And it really shows that, uh, I mean, the mod, uh, when mod got an abortion, that was pre-Roe v. Wade even. It really shows that the, despite it being kind of a f- corny, silly format generally, these writers and producers, like, I think they knew they had a, an audience to to really sort of get a message across at times, as long as they didn't, like, hammer it too hard. I think shows like MASH dabbled much more in that realm than other ones. Oh, yeah, for sure. But as far as doing this kind of stuff on All in the Family and different strokes, it was it was groundbreaking stuff. It was, but it got picked up by just about everybody. Remember, our I think our last Christmas episode, we talked about that ALF Christmas special with the dying girl? <laughs> That's right. Oh, my God. It's so weird. Yeah, everybody did that. I think everybody with the one exception of Small Wonder did a very special episode. Say by the Bell did that episode where Jesse was addicted to speed. Remember? Uh, I, I didn't really watch that show. Okay, well, it's, that one alone is worth watching, yeah. <laughs> at least for the— <laughs> Who was Jesse? The, Which one was that? Uh, the Jesse Spano, she was Slater's girlfriend. She, okay. um, I, oh, she'd be so mad that I just referred to her as Slater's girlfriend. Um, <laughs> Slater was her boyfriend. Was that Tiffany Amber Thiessen? No, no. Um, I don't remember her name. She went on to star in Showgirls. Um, oh, uh, Elizabeth Berkeley. Yes. Right. Yeah. I forgot that she started on that. Jesse Spano. So she was um, really trying to prepare for studying finals. And then, like, there was this show um, coming up where she was going to sing the Pointer Sisters, I'm So Excited. <laughs> and so she was taking all this speed, and Zach found out <laughs> about it and was, like, you know, throwing the speed out the window. And Jesse was like, I'm so excited. I'm That's so excited. really funny. <laughs> it's really worth watching, man. And watch the whole episode because it's a masterpiece of, like, unintentional hilarity from start to finish. Uh, yeah, I, guess, I think I was a little too old for that show when it hit its prime. But I, I definitely saw it here and there because I'd know all those characters, basically. Sure. It's still on Sunday mornings on MeTV. <laughs> Is it really? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, so sitcoms obviously hit their sort of zenith in the 70s and 80s, uh, into the 90s even, of course, with shows like sure. uh, Seinfeld and Friends were huge. But in the 2000s is when they really kind of started to dip, of course, thanks to, uh, not thanks to, but unfortunately because of things like reality TV. Um, the gold standard, like we talked about, was hitting syndication. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's the reason Larry David and Jerry Seinfeld and Every member of Friends, I mean, they all went on, generally went on to do other stuff. But, you know, it's why if Matthew Perry never worked another day in his life, he doesn't have to because they are still all making money hand over fist because these shows will live forever. They'll be showing Seinfeld in a hundred years probably. Yeah, because you make a show and it's a hit show and you can take those episodes and sell them to one person, sell them to another person and sell them again and again and again. So this one body of work just turns into a cash register. I saw that for Seinfeld and Larry David or the show in general since it entered syndication mm-hmm. uh, has generated $3 billion in syndication <laughs> oh <my God>. fees. <laughs> That's amazing. And Ed points out, you know, very aptly, one of the reasons, and there are many factors why those kind of sitcoms aren't around as much, um, certainly prestige TV and mm-hmm. sort of that's the thing now. But when you launch a show like that these days, you're competing not just against what's on right then, but you're still competing against Seinfeld right. and The Office and Friends and Frasier. Like people still watch this comfort food time and time again. I do it. We all do it. 
Yeah, and I mean, it was, uh, you know, popular enough in syndication, but now it's on streaming. You can watch every episode back to back if you've got a long weekend, you know, or 10 years, one of the two. <laughs> All right, uh, let's take our first commercial break. Okay. Because the fine folks at Ben Gay have been waiting. Want to learn about a pterosaur and call it pterodactyl? How to take a perfect poop and all about fractals? Skink is con. Attila the Hun. The Lizzie Border murders and the cannibal runs. Don't explain everything to your brain. Explodes. It's Chuck. And Josh. This stuff you should know. Word up, Jerry. All right, game off. Let's pause here to talk more about Monopoly Go. Because in Monopoly Go, you can team up with your friends for timed tournaments where you work together to build up each other's boards. It's very nice. That's right. And the more you win together, the more awesome prizes you unlock. And there's so much to get. I'm talking about unique stickers that you can trade with friends to complete albums for big prizes, cool new playing pieces to travel the boards with, or hilarious emojis for taunting friends when you smash their buildings or heist their vaults. Plus, Monopoly Go feels new and exciting every day with constantly changing tournaments and challenges, like digging for treasure or a robot pachinko machine. And there's always new timed events that help you win big, like massive multipliers for everything you win or rent frenzies. That's right. There's always something fun to discover in Monopoly Go. So get off the bench and go download it now for free on Google Play or the App Store. Game on! Hey, it's Danielle, Will, and Ryder from Pod Meets World. Thanks to our friends at Hyundai, we were able to record a very special episode for you guys at the one and only, wait for it, Boy Meets, Meets World House. House. Take a listen. We are lucky to be sitting with Alan and Amy Matthews in the flesh, William, Rusty Russ, and Betsy Randall. Yay! Thank you. Thank you. Yes. yes. When those legends get here, let me know. <laughs> <laughs> you're here. You're here already. No. Uh, we didn't either when we were watching yeah, this. That's, day. Day. that's we the problem. We didn't realize it until we uh, oh. started getting into seasons three and four, and now we're like, oh, my God. We were both so good on the show, and we missed it because we were we young. We were kids and, and so self-involved. Egomaniacs. Yeah. And <laughs> didn't realize well, no, how great you were. We've talked about it. I think you just assumed everybody was as good as them. And, right. and then right. you get into right. as you grow up and you work with other actors, you realize how how lucky we were yeah. to have you guys. This has been brought to you by the fully electric Hyundai Ionic 5. New episode out now. You can listen wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody. It's time you heard about Squarespace. Squarespace has the tools you need to create and sell your own website, whether it's an online course or custom merch. Squarespace has you covered. That's right. Courses is a great program. You can start with a professional layout that fits your brand, upload video lessons to teach techniques and skills, and tailor your course with a powerful Fluid Engine editor. That's right. With Fluid Engine, which is a next generation website design system, by the way, it's never been easier for anyone to unlock unbreakable creativity. That's right. And don't forget the commerce side, because after that, you can charge a one-time fee or you can even sell a subscription. Yeah. So turn your creativity into income with Squarespace courses. And right now, go to squarespace.com stuff for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code stuff to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Squarespace. You know, true love is always being excited from the first moment you see one another. And every time after that, it's taking long walks together in the summer or gazing longingly into each other's eyes and watching their tail wag when they chase a squirrel in the yard. 
Well, the pedigree brand asked about believing and love at first sight. And honestly, the answer is yes. Uh, as everyone knows from listening to this show, we have pulled all of our dogs off the street that Emily and I have had over the years, either right off the street or through a local shelter and working with them. And they've all become valued family members. And we think they've appreciated it, too. Yeah, Chuck, there is a pedigree loyalty survey that found that 90% of first-time dog owners report having a dog improved at least one of their relationships, and 80% of first-time dog owners are overwhelmingly more likely to have made at least one new connection as a result of getting a dog. And 95% of all dog owners say that the bond they have with their dogs is closer than they ever expected. Not a big surprise. That's true. We all know that adopting a dog can lead to a lifetime meaningful connection and real love can exist between a pet and a pet parent. You got that straight. Pedigree is committed to helping more dogs find loving homes. Opening your home to a dog can help open your heart. And Love at First Sight is closer than you think because it's available at your local dog shelter. Yeah, very important point. You can find love at first sight with the Pedigree Adoption Drive from June 7th to June 9th. And the Pedigree brand will reimburse your dog adoption fees nationwide. That's right. So just visit pedigree.com slash adoption dash drive to learn more and see full terms and conditions. Learning stuff with Joshua and Charles. Stuff you should. I hope Ben Gay is actually going to give us some money for this. <laughs> we, we should maybe alert ad sales. They'd be like, who? Are they making fun of us? <laughs> <laughs> so, Chuck, like we said, 26 out of, you know, about 40% of seasons from 1950 to 2000 were sitcoms, the highest highest rated show. Yeah, 2019. There's a right. There's a reason that they're so popular. One, they're like really easy to digest. They're funny. Mm -hmm. That's the point of them. But there's another thing too that when you zoom in on a set of like four or six characters and you spend you know half hour nuggets in their lives in just very small worlds of their sets, um, it, paying attention to their foibles and their weirdness and who they are and like what they believe in, the audience really gets to know those people. Yeah. And you can really play with that as a writer and a actor and a producer. Um, and some really great, like, all-time great characters have kind of come out of that. And one of the cool things you can do is make a character one way, and then all of a sudden, out of left field, you can have them do something else, and it suddenly makes them, you know, human, whereas they used to be like a one-dimensional, hilarious person. Yeah, but that can really shake up an audience who is invested in a character. Mm -hmm. Because I think there are so many shows where uh, Friends is an obvious example or Sex in the City where – most women, I think, who watched Sex in the City, and I watch it too, but uh, I think it was largely like a show that appealed to women, would all say like, <laughs> Here's the shovel, Chuck. <laughs> I know. I'm a Samantha, or, or I'm a, you know, or I'm a Joey, or I'm a Ross. Like, I think people kind of looked for themselves in these characters, and everyone had their favorites. People would watch these shows and maybe hate one of the characters out of the six Sure. Uh, every time they came on the screen, but still get into it. Uh, it it's pretty interesting. They're super voyeuristic. Um, they hold a prism up about sort of our society, and, you know, they're aimed at the largest demographic. So a lot of these shows would be about, like, working-class families who struggle to pay their mortgage or who get into the sort of um, – 
sort of site, you know, there were zany situations, but a lot of times there were situations based in reality such that people could really identify, like, I've been in that same situation with my boss before. Yeah, or, like, Al Bundy has to, like, you know, sell a bunch of blood to, like, get his car fixed or something like that. Like, that's a great right. situation for an episode that you can resolve in a half hour that, yeah, maybe the viewer hasn't ever sold blood to get his car fixed, but has maybe been in that position where they were had to consider doing that, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, they also, um, I think, to their credit, have been able to hold up um, – not a mirror. What's it called when you're looking at someone else? I guess a lens – <laughs> on people that aren't like you. Uh, a telescope. Yeah, a telescope for people who you don't identify with and you can learn something about. Uh, there was a, a period in the 70s where you had these three great shows, uh, The Jeffersons, Good Times, and Sanford and Son, mm-hmm. at a time where it gave white America a real view into three very sort of uh, set demographics of black America. Um and we'll talk about spinoffs, but the Jeffersons was a spinoff. They were originally the Bunker's neighbors, mm-hmm. and uh, George Jefferson opened up a dry cleaner that hit it big, so they got to move it on up to the deluxe apartment in the sky. Sure. Uh, you had good times as sort of that middle ground family that kind of struggled a bit. And then you had Sanford and Son as the the junkyard uh, guys, and you know it gives and and with other ethnic uh, ethnicities as well it really gave i think largely white america a chance to sort of even though it may not be the most realistic sort of take a peek at what other how other people lived yeah um yeah which is great i mean that's a great part of sitcoms like it can make you identify with people you might not interact with normally right absolutely um and it can go the other way too like it can make us very sympathetic to the rich like you know <laughs> people like watching affluent families as well um as just as much as they like watching families that are struggling financially too oh yeah i mean fresh prince the cosby show he was a doctor mm-hmm. uh again the jefferson so it's interesting how sometimes people love watching the sort of working class families. Sometimes they like the escapist of watching the rich families. Mm-hmm. There's something for everyone. Yeah, and sometimes it's not even a thing. Like in Cheers, there was not really a lot of class stuff. Yeah. It was basically everything but that. Like no one seemed to have any real mon- money troubles, but yeah, also nobody was particularly totally. rich. It was just not a thing. So it, it can also just be totally absent. I've got a little tidbit for you I want to throw in. Let's hear it. I read that George Jefferson was mm-hmm. mentioned on All in the Family three years before he physically appeared on it. <laughs> really? Because Yeah, because Norman Lear knew exactly who he wanted for George Jefferson, Sherman Helmsley. Uh-huh. But Helmsley was involved in like a really lengthy Broadway contract that he couldn't get out of. Oh. So Norman Lear just set it up and waited for him to come, and he finally arrived and wow. made TV history. That's pretty cool to, like, hold out that long for an actor that you fall in love with. Yeah, it was a good move, too. I mean, Norman Lear is a genius. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, sure. We can't talk about sitcoms without bowing at the feet of Norman Lear. And now we've done that, so the box is checked. So, Chuck, one of the best things you could possibly do is sit around and talk about great moments in sitcom (laughs) history. And I propose we do just that right now. I'm sure there are entire podcasts that do this. And we should also start each one with, remember the time? (laughs) Uh, Well, we went over some of the more serious ones, but uh, I think we should stick to sort of the more fun ones now. Mm -hmm. Um, Obviously, sort of tops of the list, if we're going historically or chronologically, is the, uh, well, there's a couple. The grape stomping, 
and I Love Lucy, uh, but especially the conveyor belt episode mm-hmm. uh, from September 15th, 1952, uh, with Lucy and Ethel working in in the factory with a conveyor belt. I think it was chocolates. Yeah, it was chocolates, and the conveyor belt speeds up, and, like, Lucy and Ethel are just doing this physical comedy that, like, so is great. astounding, especially when you stop and realize, like, this was live to tape, basically, you know? Yeah. There was another thing that Lucy really broke ground on um, with the birth of little Ricky. Um, the the film or the show was either aired or shot about 12 hours after her her real life son oh, was really? born. Yeah. Wow. And then they, they um, aired the birth of little Ricky, which is huge. But Mary Kay and Johnny did it first. <laughs> You're in love with that show. <laughs> I just I, I think they're an unsung show. They're another one that um, was not preserved in any way. It was filmed to Kinescope, but the Dumont Network, which was really cheap, um, threw all of their reels into the East River, apparently. And there's one episode left of um, Mary Kay and Johnny, and it's at like a, uh, a like a media um, museum in Los Angeles. You know, now that you mention that. Our colleague Alex's show, Ephemeral, um, he has an episode about the kinescope. Okay. Like yeah, an entire does. episode, I remember now. I think that was in season one. Yeah. Great, great show. Yeah. Uh, so maybe we should talk about the Mary Tyler Moore show, one of the great shows. Yeah. I mean, like if you got to, if you bow at Norman Lear's feet, you have to bow at Mary Tyler Moore's feet too. Yeah. There was an episode in 1975 uh, called Chuckles Bites the Dust. Uh, historic TV episode where <laughs> a clown is killed uh, in a parade accident and uh, it, it tackles death in a really funny way. Like they definitely uh, sort of talk about mortality and stuff like that, but the whole time they're laughing and they can't contain their laughter about this clown and how the clown died. And it's a very funny episode. It is because poor Mary Tyler Moore has to play it straight for everybody else and, like, is scolding them for laughing. And she, they're all trying not to laugh, and she's having to keep it really serious. Yeah. And then in addition to that, um, there were some really great jokes in there, like one-offs, where um, Ted Baxter is asked if Mary can have a ride to the funeral with him. And he goes, sure, the more the merrier. <laughs> <laughs> the great Ted Knight. Yeah. It was Ted Baxter, right? I think that was the character's name, right? Okay, yeah. And the actor was Ted Knight? Yeah, yeah, from Caddyshack. And from uh, Too Close for Comfort. Yep, another sitcom. Uh, I actually quite enjoyed that show because it, it was, I thought, uh, who was the guy? Jim J. Bullock was very funny. Mm-hmm. I thought Ted Knight was hysterical. And, of course, as, like, a young boy, I just thought the, the beautiful blonde and brunette daughters, I was just like, give me that show all day long. <laughs> right. I think that is how they a lot of um, uh, shows got um, popular. Like Three's Company. It's just dreck, man. Like the, the oh, writing is terrible. No. Like the plots are terrible. <laughs> oh, come on. The physical comedy is good. Like John uh-huh. Ritter's great. But oh, if you think great. about it, he's really the only good actor or character, at least in the whole show, Ugh. because he was the only one that had good stuff written for him. Ugh. But you had, like, Chrissy and <laughs> Janet and Cindy, I think, came uh-huh. after Chrissy. I'm, I'm sure they definitely contributed to it. Come on, Mr. Roper? Okay, Mr. Roper is pretty, pretty funny. <laughs> we talked about that in the uh, the Fern Bar episode of our totally. Bars podcast. Totally. Uh, Happy Days, of course, we have to mention Fonzie Jumps the Shark, which was mm-hmm. 1977, uh, and of course that became, uh, in the episode, Fonzie literally um, water skis and jumps a ring of sharks. I think it was sharks, maybe just one shark. Mm -hmm. 
because jumps jumps the sharks would be doesn't the have the same now. same ring to it. <laughs> I can't remember how many sharks it was, but that became it. Sort of looked back as the moment where Happy Days went bad, and now is used as an expression of when any show goes bad. Mm-hmm. But Ed points out like there were some a lot of good Happy Days uh, episodes and seasons that happened after that. True, but it, that it same season, season five, they also had Mork from Ork arrive at Arnold's Drive-In. Classic. And it's, yeah, it is classic, <laughs> and it turned out for the best. But the the point is it was like a huge departure from, you know, the norm that that show had set up for itself in the previous five seasons. So I think it's not even necessarily just a show turns horrible. It's just it, it takes like um, much more bizarre turns, you know, to maybe boost ratings. I think that's really what Jumping the Shark is for me. Yeah, I think you're right. The other thing that stuck out to me, too, is apparently that that phrase is from 1986. It's that old. Oh, really? Yeah, there was some particular dude who came up with it and wrote wow. a book about it and started a website later on and was really like a single person or maybe two people introduced that slang into the zeitgeist. That person right now, if they're listening, says... Some particular dude. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> right. Thanks a lot, other dude. Thanks a lot, master researcher. <laughs> <laughs> All right, fine. I take that challenge. Uh, I can talk before we break about a couple of more landmark events in TV sitcom history. One, of course, is the final episode of MASH. Uh, notable because, A, it was one of the biggest shows ever. And it B, because it was one of the biggest uh, final uh, finales, final finales of all time and uh, all the way up. And this was in 1983. And it was the number one audience, top audience of any broadcast in TV history until uh, the Super Bowl in 2010. Mm-hmm. That was what a run. Like one of the best like television episodes of all time. Like it just great. got in the breadbasket over and over again. It's called Goodbye, Farewell and Amen. Uh, Ellen coming out was a big deal. There was a gay character in Billy Crystal on the uh, sitcom Soap. Mm-hmm. Um, but Ellen actually coming out on the show after she came out in real life was a very big deal. And conservatives hated it. Yeah, get this. Jerry Falwell called her Ellen Degenerate for oh, coming out so as clever. gay. He called her a degenerate for, for saying, yes, I'm actually gay rather than <laughs> staying in the closet. Isn't that disgusting? What a good dude. And that um, episode, they codenamed it The Puppy, so no one would have any idea what was coming. (laughs) That's pretty funny. Uh, All right, should we take our final break? Yeah, let's, and then we'll come back and talk about more sitcom stuff. Want to learn about a pterosaur and call it pterodactyl? How to take a perfect movement all about fractals. Genghis Khan, Attila the Hun, the Lizzie Border murders and the cannibal runs. Gonna explain everything to your brain. Explodes, it's Chuck, and Josh, this stuff you should know. Word up, Jerry. All right, game off. Let's pause here to talk more about Monopoly Go. Because in Monopoly Go, you can team up with your friends for time tournaments where you work together to build up each other's boards. It's very nice. That's right. And the more you win together, the more awesome prizes you unlock. And there's so much to get. I'm talking about unique stickers that you can trade with friends to complete albums for big prizes, cool new playing pieces to travel the boards with, or hilarious emojis for taunting friends when you smash their buildings or heist their vaults. Plus, Monopoly Go feels new and exciting every day with constantly changing tournaments and challenges, like digging for treasure or a robot pachinko machine. And there's always new timed events that help you win big, like massive multipliers for everything you win or rent frenzies. That's right. There's always something fun to discover in Monopoly Go. So get off the bench and go download it now for free on Google Play or the App Store. Game on! 
Hey, it's Danielle, Will, and Ryder from Pod Meets World. Thanks to our friends at Hyundai, we were able to record a very special episode for you guys at the one and only, wait for it, Boy Meets World House. Take a listen. We are lucky to be sitting with Alan and Amy Matthews in the flesh, William, Rusty Russ, and Betsy Randall. Yay! Thank you. Thank you. Yes. When those legends get here, let me know. <laughs> you're here. You're here already. No. Uh, we didn't either when we were watching yeah, this that's day. Okay. That's we the didn't problem. realize it until we uh, started getting into seasons three and four, and now we're like, oh my God. You were both so good on the show, and we missed it because we were we young. We were kids and, and so self-involved. Egomaniacs yeah. and didn't realize well, no, how great you were. We've talked about it. I think you just assumed everybody was as good as them. And, right. and then right. you get into, right. as you grow up and you work with other actors, you realize how how lucky we were yeah. to have you guys. This has been brought to you by the fully electric Hyundai Ionic 5. New episode out now. You can listen wherever you get your podcasts. You know, true love is always being excited from the first moment you see one another. And every time after that, it's taking long walks together in the summer or gazing longingly into each other's eyes and watching their tail wag when they chase a squirrel in the yard. Well, the Pedigree brand asked about believing in love at first sight, and honestly, the answer is yes. Uh, as everyone knows from listening to this show, we have pulled all of our dogs off the street that Emily and I have had over the years, either right off the street or through a local shelter and working with them. And they've all become valued family members, and we think they've appreciated it too. Yeah, Chuck, there is a Pedigree loyalty survey that found that 90% of first-time dog owners report having a dog improved at least one of their relationships, and 80% of first-time dog owners are overwhelmingly more likely to have made at least one new connection as a result of getting a dog. And 95% of all dog owners say that the bond they have with their dogs is closer than they ever expected. Not a big surprise. That's true. We all know that adopting a dog can lead to a lifetime meaningful connection and real love can exist between a pet and a pet parent. You got that straight. Pedigree is committed to helping more dogs find loving homes. Opening your home to a dog can help open your heart. And Love at First Sight is closer than you think because it's available at your local dog shelter. Yeah, very important point. You can find love at first sight with the Pedigree Adoption Drive from June 7th to June 9th. And the Pedigree brand will reimburse your dog adoption fees nationwide. That's right. So just visit pedigree.com slash adoption dash drive to learn more and see full terms and conditions. Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like <sighs> being transported to a tropical island retreat. Imagine putting your phone on Do Not Disturb, tuning out all the constant, just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store. Learning stuff with Joshua and Charles. Stuff you should know. All right, we're going to finish up with uh, what Ed calls odds and ends, which I think is perfect because some of these are significant moments. Some of these are just little other random bits, um, tropes. 
what have you. Sure. One is a trope for sure, which is the couch in the center of the room. Right. Uh, it's obviously done this way because it just makes a lot of sense uh, to have sort of the central action being framed around the center part of a living room. Mm-hmm. But it's funny, if you go back and look at All in the Family, The Cosby Show, and At Least Married with Children, those three sets are almost identical and that you have your entry door on the right, the couch in the middle, and a set of stairs uh, behind you. Right. Uh, and then, of course, shows like Friends and Seinfeld. And it's it's not like landmark to say, hey, let's center the action on the center of the room. But it, the couch in the center of the room definitely became a trope. On yeah, it, allow, it allows actors to interact with the person on the couch without standing in between them and the camera. To yeah. stand behind them, right? So it makes total sense in sitcom world, but it is bizarre if you step back and think about it. That actually ties in, Chuck, with another um, little tidbit about sitcoms. It's called The Fourth Wall. And it's not just sitcoms, but any TV show. But it, or movie. It per- sure. But it particularly applies to sitcoms because if you look at a sitcom set, there's usually three walls. There's the back wall and two side walls. But the front wall is imaginary, and it allows you, the viewer, to look in on the action. But the people in the action, the actual characters, don't recognize that you're looking back at them or they're not supposed to. But you can really toy with this whole thing because every once in a while a character can turn and address the you, the viewer, and that's called breaking the fourth wall. Yeah, which can be fun. It can be funny if if Burt Reynolds does it and gives his little signature laugh in a movie. It's <laughs> funny. If Ferris Bueller does it, it's funny. It sure. can be a little weird and disconcerting. So breaking the fourth wall is something that whenever it's entertained by a, a director or production or writer or whatever, it's always very much like, Let's put a lot of thought into this because it can really go bad. <laughs> That's right, right, yeah, yeah. You don't want to, you don't want to do it wrong because I would guess you could sink like a whole show doing it wrong. Yeah, it's not a willy nilly thing. How about spinoffs? I love spinoffs. There have been a lot of very bad ones, mm-hmm. uh, but in some cases, spinoffs have been at least as popular as the original show. Um, mm-hmm. You have great shows like Mash, which had Trapper John MD, which was pretty popular. And then the very not great after Mash. Yeah, that was weird. Terrible title. And then um, that's pretty good too. Two's not bad. Um, what about Happy Days though? Happy Days had Mork and Mindy, of course, very popular show. Uh, Joni loves Chachi. Not, <laughs> not so great. Laverne and Shirley, that was from uh, Happy yeah. Days too, right? A great, great show. And then there were two more which I didn't even know about. Uh, one called Blanksy's Beauties, and one called Out of the Blue. And the reason you don't know about them is because they were terrible shows, but mm-hmm. also, like, they introduced Mork in season five and gave him a spinoff. These guys were introduced, they, they would introduce the character out of the blue for the first time, and then the next night they would premiere their spinoff show. And it just was a format they were trying, and it just Dumb didn't quite idea. work out. Yeah, it didn't work very well. Uh, the Jeffersons I mentioned spun from All in the Family. Um, another really popular show was A Different World that spun out from a Co- uh, The Cosby Show. Mm-hmm. Uh, Benson was a spinoff. From what? Of Soap. Soap. Oh, okay. And I love Benson as a kid. I, I love that show. Mm-hmm. Uh, Facts of Life was a great spinoff from Different Strokes, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, Frasier, one of the all-time great shows, uh, spun off from one of the all-time great shows. Yeah, from Cheers. Fra- you remember Fraser was, uh, I think he dated Diane for a little while, didn't he? He the, he was introduced uh, dating Diane and then later dated uh, Lilith, of course, one of the great That's, characters. Right, yeah. And she actually made it over to the spinoff, too. Yeah, yeah, she appeared on Fraser for sure. 
So All in the Family uh, is apparently the the all-time spinoff champ with seven shows that it produced. Wow. The reason it was able to do this is because it was so popular. Some of its spinoffs had spinoffs. Like, I think uh, Rhoda was a spinoff from All in the Family, and it ended up yeah. spinning off um, Gloria, I think, or something yep. like that. Yeah. Uh-huh. So, all told, All in the Family generated 860 episodes of television. Wow. Yeah, that's, that's a, pretty that's, impressive. That's almost like the uh, the Tommy What's-His-Name verse from St. Oh, the Tom, Tommy Westfall universe? <laughs> Tommy Westfall universe. Yeah, it is. Very much like that. I was trying to explain that to Emily and some people the other day and just totally botched it. <laughs> uh, I need to, to retake that one, too. Or just get me on the phone. Put me on speakerphone. I should. Uh, and then, when, you know, recently, we should, we don't get a lot of spinoffs anymore, but uh, we should definitely shout out Grownish, uh, mm. which is a newer spinoff of Blackish. Right. So it still happens. Um, another thing that happened that was kind of like a landmark bomb in the sitcom world, and not bomb in the bad way, but like meaning it was consequential. The Flintstones came out in 1960. And yeah. up to that point, no one had even conceived of a, a an animated sitcom, but that's absolutely what it was. So much so, it was essentially an animated ripoff of the Honeymooners based in prehistoric times. Yeah, and uh, animated sitcoms became a, a staple of TV, a primetime television uh, with the Jetsons, of course, our beloved Simpsons and Futurama, and now Bob's Burgers is one of the uh, family guy, of course, and then Bob's Burgers, one of the longest-running uh, current sitcoms, animated sitcoms. Yeah, there's also Rick and Morty, South Park. There's tons of animated sitcoms now, and you, they can all thank the Flintstones for that, and, and to a lesser extent, the Jetsons. It's funny to think of South Park as a sitcom, but I guess it is. It totally is. It's just so offbeat, it doesn't seem to you know fit that mold, but it is. Absolutely. It's a sitcom. Um, and then, Chuck, there's one other, like, uh, significant moment in TV I want to, like, definitely shout out. It was the last episode of New Heart that aired in 1990. Did you see it? I did. I was a big fan of both the original Bob Newhart show mm-hmm. in reruns and then loved, loved the Newhart show where he was the – in the first one, he was a psychologist mm-hmm. uh, married to Suzanne Plachette. And in the second Newhart, he was a, a, a B&B operator in Vermont, right? Yeah, named Dick Loudon. And the second show, New Heart, was much more weird and wacky and just kind of went out there, whereas the Bob Newhart show from the 70s was a little more, like, down-to-earth and, you know, stayed. Uh, it had, like, New Heart's deadpan, you know, uh, humor. <laughs> I just accidentally did a New Heart <laughs> impression. Um, and so in the last episode of New Heart, um, the second show, uh, it, it, it starts out, the last couple of minutes start out in a darkened room, and all of a sudden— Bob wakes up, or Dick Loudon wakes up, you think, and uh, it turns out he wakes up the his wife next to him, and it's Suzanne Plachette, his wife from the Bob Newhart show from the 70s, and it turns out the, the entirety of Newhart took place in a dream of Bob Hartley's in the show, The Bob Newhart Show. It's one of the greatest series finales of all time, of any show, not just sitcoms. Absolutely. Uh, it's It's, for my money, maybe the only time the it was all a dream thing worked to perfection mm-hmm. because it's kind of become a, a trope, like a bad trope, where it just is a sort of a lazy way to do something. Sure, the uh, reset button. Yeah, but boy, it just they pulled their card at the right time. The original New Heart show was so beloved, I think, and Suzanne Plachette, yeah. so recognizable and beloved. Uh, it was just perfection. It worked great. Totally. Something that didn't work great, and I say this is the thing we go out on. How about that? All right. 
It's called the Darren switch or the other Darren. And it happened on the <laughs> Or six, the two six, dicks. <laughs> right. That's true. Um, it happened on the sixth season of Bewitched. Right. And this was uh, Darren was the husband, Samantha's husband on Bewitched. Mm-hmm. Great, great show. Uh, originally played by Dick York. And then another Dick came in. Uh, Dick Sargent came in, and they just swapped it out. They never explained it. Uh, this has happened quite a few other times in TV history, too. Right, so much so that, like I said, it's a trope called The Other Darren, where they just bring in a new actor without any explanation whatsoever to start playing an established role. It happens most often on soap operas, I've heard. For sure. Uh, some of the other notable sitcoms, though, uh, The Mom on the Fresh Prince was swapped out. Oh, Yeah. Uh, on that 70s show, this one is very sad, Eric's older sister uh, was played by Lisa Robin Kelly at first, mm-hmm. uh, and she had drug and alcohol problems, and she was booted from the show and mm. replaced and ended up dying of a uh, drug overdose. Oh, no. Uh, Morty Seinfeld was different in one episode. Like in the middle of the run? Well, it was the first time he was ever in an episode. It was played by a different actor. Really? Uh, just for the one episode. And then we got uh, the great Barney Martin mm-hmm. just owned, you know, he played Liza Minnelli's dad in Arthur too, one of my favorite comedies. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you look back to that first Morty, uh, Larry David didn't like it. And he's like, he's too soft. And he swapped him out for Barney Martin. <laughs> That's awesome. Sometimes your father forgets and I have to steal. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Ross's ex-wife, Carol, changed. Oh, yeah, that's right. Okay, I knew that. Uh, Angie on 30 Rock uh, was another one-episode run before they switched to a different actor. Which one was Angie? Angie was – who was Angie? I haven't seen 30 Rock in so long. I think she was just on the crew maybe. Okay. I can't remember though exactly. Okay. Um, Or was she – I can't remember. Uh, Bewitched um, also had a switch in that Gladys, the nosy neighbor – uh, the actor who played her died of ovarian cancer, and so they did a double switch. Wow, twice. Uh, and then finally, in true Mitch Hurwitz uh, fashion, mm-hmm. uh, Mitch Hurwitz, he was the uh, showrunner for Arrested Development. <laughs> and you remember Anne, the boyfriend, uh, or I'm sorry, the girlfriend of uh, <laughs> of what's-his-face, Michael Sarah, yeah. was like completely forgettable, and the dad, never, no one ever remembered who she was. Yeah. So his idea was to have a different actor play Anne in every episode. <laughs> <laughs> Is that right? Yeah, to kind of, you know, just make fun of the trope a little bit. And sure. he did that twice, and he ended up really, really liking the second actor so much, I think he was like, I, I can't, like, fire you. Right. So he did it once and then uh, had the same actor player, which That's was pretty awesome. funny. Though. Good Man, idea. that guy is brilliant. Good stuff. Um, so I guess that's it for sitcoms, huh? Like we could just keep talking about significant sitcom moments all day, but I think we should probably stop. I think so. We ran a couple of minutes long, but uh, do you have anything you want to retake this week? Uh, no, it's all good this time. All right, great. Uh, well, thanks for joining us, everybody. Uh, if you want to get in touch with us and let us know what you thought about the two-part, very special sitcom episode, you can send us an email to stuffpodcast at iheartradio.com. Stuff You Should Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.
Childproofing people's homes is hard, but Duracell is making it just a bit simpler. Not only are they committed to educating parents, caregivers, and medical professionals about the importance of battery safety, they make the only lithium coin batteries with a non-toxic bitter coating to help discourage children from swallowing them. Duracell even features child secure packaging designed to avoid accidental opening. Learn more at Duracell.com slash power safely. Available on 2032, 2025, and 2016 sizes. Life in our modern age comes at you pretty fast, which makes our time away especially valuable. When I take time to relax, I like to get far from my everyday life, immerse myself in natural beauty, and have unique experiences. But you don't have to leave the U.S. to experience tropical rainforests and islands filled with adventure, warm culture, and national treasures. Visit Puerto Rico, an island with a vibrant spirit that will sweep you away. Because when you visit, you don't become part of the island, it becomes part of you. In Puerto Rico, you can forget where you came from and embrace where you are. Puerto Rico, where visits end, but stories last forever. No passport required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. You never want to find yourself out on the water fishing without the essentials. So it's best to always pack a Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite hoodie to protect against the sun. I mean, it provides great protection and it's really breathable so you don't get hot. That's a win-win. Columbia PFG has a lot of great gear. So before you head out on the water, head over to Columbia.com slash PFG to shop their performance fishing gear. Are you thirsty? Well, Richard's rainwater is caught clean before it even hits the ground. Rain is naturally pure, so there's no need for harsh chemicals or additives. Richard's rainwater contains no chlorine, no forever chemicals, no microplastics, no nothing. Enjoy the smooth, clean taste of still rainwater or the cold-pressured bubbles of sparkling rainwater. Just visit richardsrainwater.com to find a retailer near you. That's richardsrainwater.com. And for a coupon, text STUFF to 251-292-8887 and receive $2 off a 12-pack case of Richard's Rainwater. 